Welcome to Fantasy Fools, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know as a new fantasy football player. I'm your host, Noah Weinfurtner, and I am a fantasy fool. I was a first-year fantasy player last year, and I had no clue what I was doing. I did not have any idea about what the different scoring methods were, where I was supposed to draft any of my players, what kind of league I was in. It was all just a huge, confusing mess. You will hear clips from my talk with fantasy expert Jason O'Neill on these topics and more on today's episode, Week Zero. It is Week Zero. We have just joined our fantasy league, and the first thing we want to establish is that fantasy football is for fun, first and foremost. So no matter how many times you are a fantasy fool, it is important to remember to just have fun with it. At the end of the day, Nobody knows what is going to happen in the game with 100% certainty, and that's part of the fun. It's also important for me to note that every fantasy expert, much like Japo, was once a first-year fantasy player and had next to little to no knowledge about fantasy football and has been a fantasy fool many times themselves. And now I'd like to introduce a fantasy expert on the fantasy fools, my good friend, Jason, a.k.a. Japo. Thanks for being here, Jpo. Oh man, thanks for having me. I want to take a jump into the time machine and go back. When was your first year of fantasy football? I would say about five years ago. And what was that first year of fantasy football like for you? Um, that league was just really small. It was just me, my brother, and a couple of our friends. So it was literally just a four-person league, and. I don't even remember what scoring we had. We really didn't do anything. Did you win? That one, I seriously can't even tell you who won that one. It was so early on. So it must be your brother. Got it. Must be your brother who won that one, right? (laughs) All right, now it is coming up to draft. And the first and most important piece of information we need to figure out is what kind of scoring format you are in. The most popular form of fantasy is a full PPR format. That is where each player gets .1 points for every yard they accrue, and then all players get one point every time they catch the ball. That is why it is called PPR, point per reception. Now usually in these formats you will have one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, defense, and a kicker and either one or two flex spots. Now these flex spots are where you can play either a running back, tight end, or wide receiver, but not a quarterback, kicker, or defense. Traditionally in full PPR formats, you would never start a tight end in the flex position. For me, I personally have never had to start a tight end, and I hope I never have to because I might end up on Fantasy Fools one day if I do. And... So you usually want to go for a wide receiver or a running back in that position. And me personally, I tend to go towards a valuable running back that catches the ball to slot into my flex spot because that seems more valuable in PPR formats. You're getting that point for every catch. It seems like they have more opportunities for upside rather than your wide receivers. But that's not to say that I always have a running back available in the flex spot. Nothing is ever set in stone. There's been plenty of times where I have started two wide receivers in the flex spot. There's also been times where I started two running backs. It's really whatever fits best for you at the time. 
And now the other side of it is a non-PPR format. That's the other most popular. And a non-PPR format is the same where you get 0.1 points for every yard that they accrue. And you also get your same design of one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, a defense, a kicker, and one or two flex spots. But the only thing that changes is that you do not get one point for every time a player catches the ball. Now, that is very big because now it puts an emphasis on touchdowns and it puts an emphasis on yards because that's the only way you can score. And it makes your point totals go down in total. So it's going to be more tight races, more low scoring races in those leagues. Rather, is when you're in a PPR format, there's going to be more points on the board in general, as well as touchdowns and other things aren't going to be as important as people who are getting those catches because it's a full point for every catch that you get. Now that we have the scoring format down, it's time to look at the type of league you are in. A full redraft and a dynasty league are the two most common types. First, I want to talk about a full redraft league, which is where each year your league drafts their team from the entire players in the NFL, and there's usually 15 to 16 rounds, just enough rounds for you to pick all of your starters and your bench players, and there's a whole different number of ways that leagues can pick the draft order, and most of them are way out of your control, so there's not much you can do as far as choosing your spot in the draft, which is okay. And now, a dynasty league is when you first join, you should be doing the exact same thing of a redraft from all the players, just like the one we were talking about, but there's a slight change. At the end of the year, in a redraft league, when your team goes away, and you do it all again the next year. So, at the end of the year, once the playoffs are done, your team is gone. You no longer have those players or any ties to those players. Next year, completely free, you do it all over again. But in a dynasty league, you keep your team at the end of the year, and your draft going into the next year is you are choosing out of the skill positions, so the running backs, the wide receivers, the tight ends, the quarterbacks, the kickers, and you are taking it from the running class coming into the NFL. So it's actually very similar to the actual NFL draft. Here's what J-Po had to say about the full redraft and dynasty leagues. And What kind of league was that that you were in in that second year? Was that a... Full redraft PPR. Yep, that is exactly what it was. And is that the kind of league that you would recommend to people is the full redraft PPR? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is. I mean, there's definitely some of its preference, but for me, that's definitely my favorite league to do. Why do you prefer it over other kinds? Like, what is makes it better than Dynasty? Um, For me, I kind of want it less, like, luck-based. I, I like that after a year, you're kind of like off the hook with a player because there's too much you can't predict. Like if they get traded, some of the signs them in free agency, you know, stuff like that. You can't predict it. So I feel like there's a lot more luck in a mode like Dynasty, whereas in Redraft, you really can figure out who's supposed to be good that year based on who has who. You don't got to worry about people retiring and how it's going to affect everyone. And so I like it a lot more because you can know more about that specific year. Now that we understand our scoring format in our league, let's get into the draft. Now, as I said before, you do not have a whole lot of control over your draft order usually. Now, with that said, if you do have some say, you should always be gunning for the number one pick. Last year, I got the number one pick in my league in my first year, and 
someone who I thought was my friend was trying to convince me that I didn't want the number one pick that year because it was a bad spot to be in. I didn't want to be there in the later rounds, he said. I'm sorry, I'm here to tell you that that is a bunch of shit. If you have the chance to go out there and get yourself the projected best player, there is no reason for you to not try and go for it. If you are getting the number one overall pick, that not only comes with the projected best player in the draft, but if that person turns out not to be the projected best player in the draft, you can go out there and trade him, and he's still going to have a lot of trade value because he has that tag of the number one pick in the draft next to his name. And that alone is going to get you way more value than it does for any other player, especially early on in the, in the league. Now, once we have our draft order, that's where we can start doing the research to figure out who we want to draft. A good rule of thumb that I like to follow is go with running backs earlier rather than later. Those big-name running backs are only going to get more valuable as the season goes on. And the reason being for that is because running backs are the single most injury-prone position in football, and it is not even close. Hands down, Running backs get hurt the most. So it is very important to have an abundance of running backs on your team as a safety net because on any given week, there is a very, very solid chance that a running back is going to get injured in the NFL. Now, it might not particularly be your running back, but it could be. And you would rather have a good running back that you feel comfortable slotting in there when that person does go down rather than grabbing someone off of the waiver wire and not really trusting them to put up consistent points for you from week to week. Now let's hear what J-Po had to say about some things to avoid here in the draft. All right, so then what is something you want to avoid every year when you're going into draft? What's something that you look at and you're just like, mm, I don't really feel like touching that each year? Um, I lean towards avoiding risk. If you have a player who's injured or having contract negotiations, possible suspension, I don't like so much risk involved where it can end my season with one thing. I get what you're saying. So you don't want to put too much faith into one player who potentially might not even be there. Exactly. I mean, sure, it can pay off, but it also, I mean, you could be done right away if that doesn't work out. So we have the dreaded situation of the quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are always a thorn in everybody's side right so when you're drafting we're talking about quarterbacks where are we taking quarterbacks because we've been told sometimes we should take them early but it's better to just hold off and pump the brakes on them what's your take on that um i would say generally it is better to wait because there's just so much value in those early skill position players of running back wide receiver i mean you can you can somewhat say tight end, but that you can get in the same argument with quarterbacks. A lot of those big name guys go really early for those positions. And realistically, you can get somebody a little bit later who's not going to be up there, but who's going to put up a big enough where it's not going to be a huge difference between quarterbacks. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about scoring points each week. Yep, exactly. I want to go back to J Poe's quarterback comments there for a minute. He was talking about how we should wait on quarterbacks because there's generally so much value there in the later rounds and there's so much value for the skill positions or in the earlier rounds. And while, yes, I do agree with j Poe on this one, that you should wait normally, 
there is a couple of, of exceptions I want to talk about and really point out here because I don't feel like it's necessarily to the point of what he was saying because he wants you to hold on on those quarterbacks for quite a while. And I'm not so sure I would be as quick to tell you to do that because the quarterback position, if you can get one of those top three quarterbacks, one of those very top-tier quarterbacks who you know is going to go out there and put up really, really good points for you every week, I think there is no reason for you not to go out and try and get one of them in the early rounds because at the end of the day, it is all about putting up points every single week. And the amount of points that you get from one of those top-tier quarterbacks is so different from even the mid-tier. And then it is a world of difference and potentially the difference between winning and losing in a certain week between those very top-tier players of quarterbacks and the very bottom tier of quarterbacks. Now that was for my full redraft league players, but don't worry, Dynasty League players. I didn't forget about you. Here is what JPO had to say about Dynasty drafts. Now I've never done this type of league, so I'm also asking for myself here. In a full PPR Dynasty league, we're going into our draft. It's year one. Someone just got us into it here. What is the main thing we should be looking at when we're drafting to give us the leg up on somebody else? Um, In Dynasty, it depends completely on how long you're planning on doing it. So say we do, if you do like a two-year draft, how's that looking? For me, I still don't want to overreact to age because... You can have guys like Travis Kelsey, who's 32, 33, whatever, and can still be playing amazing. But then let's say we go to a five-year dynasty. How's that looking? Is that looking any different? That one would 100% look different to me because I'd be looking at a lot more actually getting very young players who at least I think can play five good years in the league still. It's a very hard thing to play five good years in the league. I feel like it's not very often that we find a guy who really gets five good fantasy years in the league. Yeah, that's it is pretty insane. You really don't see it from running backs because they just are in their prime for so short in the NFL for how many hits they take and everything. So then that's also another thing is the injuries with running backs. We're supposed to spring on running backs in the early rounds, and there's injuries that happen to running backs more often than any other position. How are we possibly supposed to guess who's going to get hurt and who's not? How do you know who to avoid and who not? I mean, you can usually have a general idea based on somebody's injury history, how injury prone they are and what the risk is in drafting them. But ultimately, you you really don't. You don't know who's going to get hurt. Anybody can. So you kind of have to accept that and just hope you get lucky, but also take guys who are not insanely risky. One thing I think it is also important to note before we get too far into explaining what players to avoid and what players to take, if there is a player available at your draft spot that was supposed to be taken an entire round earlier or someone who just should have been taken way before they got to you in that round, please take them. There is no reason for you not to. If someone passes on them and there is no suspension, there is no injury, it's just they didn't do their research and 
chose somebody else or they just like somebody else because they have biases, please take that person. Don't read into it too much. Don't be stuck on somebody that you've been doing research for or because we told you to hold back on this guy because he's from a certain position. If there is someone that has way too much value that should not be there on the board that is when it's your time to draft, please take that person. And a lot of how much research and time you should spend on your fantasy team going into year one is really up to you and your league mates. The amount of people that you have can range from 8 to 10 to 12. You can even do a four-person league if you really want to. But you have to understand the smaller amount of people that you have in the league, the more points that it's going to put up and the more competitive it is going to be because you are going to get a lot of the higher-end players on every single person's team. There's not going to be somebody who has really good players and then somebody who has kind of mediocre players because there's not a whole lot of top tier players left in those smaller leagues you're going to get everybody who gets those top tier players because there's just too many of them for people not to have them but then once you get into your 10 and your 12 people leagues that's when you start to notice that there's not enough top tier players to go around and that's when you can notice that there's kind of a drop off in teams and you start to have your really good teams and it can get a little bit less competitive where there's people blowing other people out of the water it is also going to be a little bit lower scoring. If it is a money league, there is going to be more motivation for the people in your league to do their research and make the most out of their draft picks. Last year for me, it was a money league, so I wasn't getting a lot of opportunities in the draft to have players fall to me. I was actually the one who did not do enough research and had some players fall to my league mates, and that's what caused me to look like a fantasy fool. But this year, I did join a free league as well, and I noticed a very, very big difference in the players that were taken and where they were taken. The amount of research done between money leagues and free leagues is a night and day difference. So I want you to keep that difference in mind as we go into the J-Pose experience on his second year of fantasy football and having money involved. When you say it paid off, does that mean you won that second year? I did, yep. Okay, respect, respect. So, was there money involved, I gotta ask? There was. How much money are we talking? Are we talking a lot, a little? Because this is really like your first year going into it, so were you scared going into it, knowing that there's, oh, there's money involved now? I mean, at this time, not really. When you're a kid and you just got, like, money or something to spend, You what do you do? You spend it. So, I mean, yeah, when we were talking, I can't remember if it was, like, 10 2015 i don't know it, it wasn't anything crazy but i remember we definitely did have money in it that year and so did that make it a little bit more interesting maybe the talking back and forth between people at school got a little bit more intense once there was money involved oh definitely and that's really what's just fuel us to keep going year after year after that because it is just people chirping and it, it's fun and so each year when you go do you put more money into it each year? No. So this is about the third year in a row where we cap it off at 50. I don't think we'll go more than that. It's it's fun, but can't be going broke out here. Oh, so are you saying that the expert who's gone four out of five years winning the championship might lose this year? 
Jpo refused to answer the next question, but his look told me that he might be in some hot water this year. Now that the warning with the money is out of the way, let's get back to talking about draft day and preparing for it. So we talked about our first few rounds and what you really want to aim for as the foundation of your team, but there is still the later rounds we have to talk about. Mainly when you're getting past the first six to seven rounds, you have majority of your skill players and most likely a quarterback and tight end out of the way. So now, where do we go from here? This is where we start to dive into our bench players a little bit. Last year, as a first-year player, this is where I relied heavily on the computer on the Fantasy app and their projections on where each player was supposed to go. That is not at all the best option. Granted, people at these companies get paid money to get as close to reality with their projections as possible. But if you look at the history of fantasy football, just across every single season of fantasy football and look at the projections on the different apps for fantasy football, you will see that they are usually very wrong. They are not very often right. There is always a handful of of hidden gems in the later rounds that are projected very few points and it is really on you to go out there and find them because they are going to be the best bench players for you those bench players are the ones who you think may not produce right away and that's okay because we got our starters and our good solid skill players in those first six to seven rounds But those guys who may not produce for you right away that have the upside to give you much more value than their projections, those are the best bench players out there for you. Because, yes, they might not be doing great right now, but as that ceiling gets up and up and up and up, their trade value is going to be way up. And you might even keep them on your team, and that could be a potential league winner for you. The way that we find these players can go in all all sorts of different ways. The way that you look and determine which player you want to have on your bench can be from a multitude of ways, and each way has a different significance to each player. Some people weigh the age of a player very heavily, usually tending to stash away younger players while they develop. Some people weigh injuries very heavily in their decision to draft a player, and maybe their injury was last year and it's still looming into this year. Maybe their injury happened during the offseason and is still looming. Maybe it happened recently, and so they're nervous about how that might impact them this season. All of those things can be taken into account, and there's so many more factors that you can account for with these bench players. And more often than not, your bench player is going to remain a bench player. They are not going to ever see the starting lineup on your team So don't stress the bench players too much. Yes, we want to do our research and we want to do our due diligence because we just might find that hidden gem. But I don't want you to stress if not every single one of your bench players with crazy upside pans out because not all of them are going to, and the truth is most of them are not. And that's okay. Let's hear what J-Po's thoughts are on bench players. That means we need to put ourselves in the best position every single week to put up as many points as possible, and that includes having players on your bench. What are we doing in the late rounds when we're going into that draft and we know we got to draft a bench? What are we looking for? I'm looking for the players with the highest upside. 
I mean, you don't want to get, I don't, again, like to do an insane amount of risk, but you definitely can get more risky in these spots once you already have your roster filled out. And so I like it where I can look for a guy who was really talented in college or something, a possible rookie, see somebody that I really like and can pick up. I've heard a lot of that, that it pays off to take those rookies in those late rounds, especially lately over the past few years, it seems like rookies have really been the thing to do. Oh, absolutely. I, I used to be somebody who didn't think it was smart to take rookies. Like they're just coming in the league. They're not going to be as good as these guys that are proven. But again, like you said, recently with guys like Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, it's like, okay, they can come right out and be really good really quick. And I think we're also starting to see a shift in the way that things have been done because I feel like you're four or five years ago when you were going back, you were explaining it to me. It was a little bit more set in stone. You know the big name players that you're taking. You know who is really getting taken on that board. But now it seems like in the past few years, we're getting a lot more variety, a lot more people who you may not expect to be that big name that are stepping up in those roles. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like I, like we were saying lately, for sure it has been. But I don't know. I just like I like the upside, but I think they could fulfill those roles for sure. Now that we have talked about the basis of getting through the draft round to round, let's go into a couple of techniques you can use when drafting. You can go in with a more conservative route where you guys – are getting a solid player with a limited ceiling, but also a limited floor. With these guys, what you see is basically what you are getting. You can keep this strategy all the way through your draft. You can use it in just the early rounds. Maybe get yourself a nice solid player to build yourself around. And then in the mid to late rounds, you can go more aggressive. Or you can keep this all the way through. The other side of the spectrum is you can go aggressive with your picks and reach for players who have more upside but also a lower floor. Historically, players like this are such as Tyreek Hill. They're explosive, they get long touchdowns, they're entertaining, and they have the ability to win your team the game that week. They will put up huge numbers, but you need to be careful because while they can win your week, they can also lose it just as quickly. These guys will not often be close to their projections. They are often going to be either way under or way over. You will not find a middle ground with these guys very often. And you can choose to keep this same route all the way through your draft if you want to play a risky game, or you can just maybe do it with a couple of picks. It's up to you. But with those boom or bust players, they usually do not have the projections to show that they are truly a boom or bust player. It's on you to usually do the research and find out who is a boom and who is a bust player because these projections are usually right in the middle of whatever their average is. And then based on factors with the team and the player, they might give it a slight bump or they might give it a slight decrease on depending on the week, but it normally tends to stay in the average range of the player. Very rarely do players get right on their projections throughout the course of the season. Simply because no player is perfect. Every player is going to have ups and downs, and that is why I personally do not pay attention to projections very closely at all. I do look at them as a solid benchmark for what kind of tier this player is because you will see a clear difference in the projections from the top tier players versus the mid and the lower tier players. 
the projections that you see on the app going into the draft is not something to really focus on because it is a new year. There is so many question marks when you're going into the new season that nobody is going to be able to accurately give you a good projection. So especially going into the draft, we are not looking at the projections very closely. We are simply using it as a benchmark to find out what kind of tier each player is. Here's j thoughts on projections. What am I supposed to do? Because <laughs> everything, all the projections said, this person's supposed to go off, this person's not. You trade away, you get the person that's supposed to go off, and then the other guy does. Yeah, and I mean, you can have good guesses and stuff, but again, nobody really knows. So with that nobody really knows, how closely should we be following the projections when we're going into the draft? When it says this player is projected this many points throughout the season, how much attention should we really pay? Um, I mean, it's a good guideline for not reaching on somebody too early or knowing if somebody might be a good deal at where you're drafting them, but it's really something where you don't want to get too hooked on just looking at that because there's certainly players that aren't looked at by as many people who have way more upside or something like that. One final tip that I've learned to come of great importance to me is bye weeks. It is something that you should definitely look at and take into consideration when drafting, and I did not at all my first year. Whenever a player has their bye week on your team, you are going to need to find a replacement for that player, and if you have two players in the same position that both have bye weeks on the same week, you can find yourself scrambling to fill that position. Now there is an interesting strategy that I recently came upon that is going after players who have the same bye week so you only take one loss due to bye and then you get all of your players back after that week. I think that strategy is very interesting and sounds good in theory, but it is going to be a very hard to get a good team that you want while also trying to get the same bye weeks, I think it's a little unrealistic for us to really believe that we can get both. So I think that if you are in a scenario where you could do it, it might be worth taking a shot trying it. But I'm also not a huge fan because that bye week, you're choosing to intentionally lose. And I don't think you should ever try to intentionally lose in fantasy football because every win matters and you never know what could happen. You could be anybody on any week, regardless of what player is missing. So I think it's never the best option to go out there and try and tank for it. All right, fantasy fools, you heard a little bit about me being a fantasy fool all of last year, but I wanted to walk you through what a fantasy fool actually means. A fantasy fool can be anybody who plays fantasy and it is bound to happen to everybody at some point. All it is, is anytime you make a horrible mistake in fantasy football. That can look like a whole variety of things. It can even start in week zero with a draft. Drafting a player in the second round that ends up getting a season-ending injury in week two would definitely qualify, which is exactly what happened to me this year in my draft. The only reason it didn't apply to me this year is because I traded that player after week one and ended up getting a top-tier wide receiver out of it. I could have easily been a fantasy, fo- fantasy fool for that week. But it was honestly luck and a trade offer from one of my league mates that put him out. I put him on the fantasy fools list instead of me. At the end of my interview with JPO, I asked him if he's ever been a fantasy fool, and this was his response. I want to know what was your biggest 
fantasy fools moment? Um, had to be that very first year. I, I'm pretty sure with like the first pick, I took Odell Beckham Jr. Wow. So you took a wide receiver with the number one overall pick. Yeah, but you got to remember, this was right after the OBJ catch. This is the only <laughs> thing everybody was talking about. I said, he did that last year. He's got to be able to do it this year, and I drafted him. Just off that one catch. That's oh, it. that's all I needed for me. I saw that, and oh, I was just trying in the backyard. Yep, smash the draft button. So that's your biggest Fantasy Fools moment. Awesome. J-Po, I want to thank you for your time today. I appreciate you being here. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. It's not just me and J-Po who are Fantasy Fools either. I reached out to everyone in my money league that I am currently in, and we are one week away from playoffs for the 2022-2023 fantasy football season. And I asked them what was their biggest fantasy fool's moment. Kobe said his was drafting Allen Robinson in the fifth round of the draft, someone he projected to be a wide receiver too and is now on waivers. Joey said his was drafting Russell Wilson in the seventh round, and Russell Wilson is now a not a top 24 quarterback in the league where only 12 quarterbacks are used each week. Jack, a.k.a. Obes, has to be the biggest fantasy fool of the year in our league, however, because he had just not one foolish moment, but several. It all started with Kyle Pitts being drafted in the fourth round, projecting him to be a top-tier tight end, and now he's out for the season with a knee injury after an abysmal start to the year. And if that wasn't bad, it only gets worse from here. He drafts Trey Lance as his quarterback of the future in the sixth round, who ended up with a season-ending injury first week. Ouch. After that, he's still not done, folks. Obes, with his next pick, goes on to draft Cam Akers, who was projected to be his running back to this season. And he hasn't yet to see the field the entire season. Now that we have covered our bases of fantasy football and what it really means to be a fantasy fool, you new and maybe even returning fantasy football players can take away some of these tips and tricks heading into your next week zero and potentially make a league-winning decision instead of being a fantasy fool. From all of us over at the University of Iowa Sports and Rec Management, I want to thank you for listening with us today. I'm Noah Weinferner, and I will see you next time.